The Pope's Exorcist, a 2023 exorcist film, which I give on the whole very high marks to. You're going to find out why today. Seven clips, seven separate reasons why I give it high marks. This film is something that I wouldn't say every Catholic could should see or must see because it's got an explicit content and a late act two departure from really based Catholic message. But act one, act three of The Pope's Exorcist is the most Catholic movie I've seen in a long time. And even in terms of ecclesial politics, the producer and director of this film seemed to get it. And Russell Crowe, as always, is dynamite. People ask me, have I seen this or that film from Angel Studios? I would say, in terms of understanding of what's really going on in the church, The Pope's Exorcist gets it with this departure, short departure, on the Spanish Inquisition, which is really a, a, a Protestant kind of point or set of points being made. We'll get into it in this review of seven clips in the film. You're going to have a good idea without spoiling the plot what this thing is really about. And I think the seven clips I show you are really going to make you want to go watch this movie. Don't watch it with little kids. You probably already know that. You should know that. But definitely watch it with anyone who's interested, who's Catholic, who wants some sort of adult accounting of the problem of both evil and the devil and the problem of how the devil infiltrated the church. That's what's up in today's episode. Definitely. Hey, it's worth repeating. That was me repeating it. Don't watch with little kids, though. No one in their right mind would do this with an exorcism movie. Now, we approach the end of August. Can you believe it? That means we are going into the final third of the year, September, October, November, December. Holy cow, I remember announcing when it was the final half of the year. 2023 has flown flown by. If you want to tithe, if you want to do good with your money, support this channel. That's my, that, that's, or channels like it. And if you want to support our content, you do so on Locals or Subscribestar attached to this very video. If you want to support a man like me who's lost a job, lost a primary, secondary way of earning a living through Patreon, and you just want to donate, go to timothyjgordon.com and click donate. And most of all, subscribe to this channel if you like this content. We're also telling folks, if you want to support yourself and your family, get out of your blue state, get to a red state, go to realestateforlife.org. And if you're a little earlier in the stage of life and you want to first get a family but you're going to eventually get to a red state, check out www.return.us, R-E-T-V-R-N.us, if you need to meet your wife, young men. We have amazing crop of uh, young women and young men in this return matchmaking, and we are making matches every week that are really exciting. So we're building from the ground up here on Rules for Retrograde something no other channel, medium-sized or large, on the Catholic internet or on the secular conservative internet are doing. We are giving you the tools to meet someone, to start a family with them. Case for Patriarchy and Ask Your Husband are the tools as to how to run your young marriage. And then, of course, we give classes on the same. And we, you know... We're, we're, we're doing more and more every day. We're going to announce some exciting new prod projects for this end, that support this end. The Pope's Exorcist. Let's get into it. I'll start out by saying six things. Um, this film has an amazing first hour. Beautiful cinematography. The, uh, amazing uh, near Cordova, Spain, Forest at an old Catholic abbey. It's a mansion-styled home. 
that's the setting for The Possession. It's based on Gabriel Amorth, based loosely. Some account, some, some aspects, some scenes of the movie are based more closely. Others are based more loosely, but it's medieval Spain coming into focus. Uh, Renaissance, uh, pre-Renaissance Spain, uh, Cordova, beautiful forest. Gabriel Amorth is the main character, played by Russell Crowe. I think he's the greatest actor of his generation. And um, it's really an exciting way, if you're in the right mood for a very spooky movie, to be introduced into the conflict and the setting. Very fun. So it's just fun. Now, is the Catholicity in order? For this first hour of the movie, which I, I've called amazing, it's good, good watch, the Catholicity seems so lined up that it seems like it was directed by a tradcath, or at least it was directed for tradcaths. I'm going to justify this in a moment's time when we get into the first scene that I show you, out of seven. The second thing that I'll say that substantiates the last sentence I just spake, it seems like it's by and for tradcasts, is that the infiltration by modernists into the cardinalate is highlighted in about the 25th or 30th minute. You have a panel, a tribunal of exorcist judges that is convened by a, a cardinal, Cardinal Sullivan, in the movie, who is grilling Gabriel Father Amorth. I'm going to show you the scene in a second. And um, it's very clear as a, as a theme that Gabriel Amorth, the protagonist, believes in real evil and believes in the reality of the devil. And that the bad guy, Cardinal Sullivan, does not believe in real evil or the devil. And that this attack of modernism, so this is the third thing I wanted to address, this attack of modernism is more than just insinuated because you're going to see Amorth say, well, if there's no real evil and no real devil, then what's the role of the church? It sounds like we're bargaining ourselves out of a job or something like that. So the attack of modernism into the church is being insinuated as a, a major problem in the middle, middle to late 1980s when this action is taking place. I believe it's 1987. Modernism's not defined. It's not a movie just by and for trad Catholics. It's not like that. This is for a, a very secular, normie audience, obviously. But the quiddity the essence of modernism is really captured, particularly at this first scene I'm going to show you, and scenes after that, by even the reparative, restorative work done by Amorth's character, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe's character, Amorth, I should say. It's, it's insinuated, uh, root and branch. The church is under the grip of the devil, who is playing the greatest trick he ever pulled, making the world believe he didn't exist. The fourth theme, of course, then... I'm sorry that these are barely differentiated. The problem of evil, also addressed in a thoroughgoingly Catholic way. The helper exorcist priest, a younger guy, is unable to help in the exorcism with Father Amorth in a meaningful way until A, he has to go through a confession, and B, even though he does a, a basically invalid confession at first, he, has, he comes to terms with the real problem of evil, that he cannot offer much help if he's in a state of unconfessed mortal sin or uh, habitual mortal sin. Unconfessed or habitual. So, that's that. The problem of evil is identified and discussed in a meaningful way and yes you lose profundity by expanding the audience always 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 even with a catholic audience if i go outside of the catholic robo anti-normies that are retrogrades and i'm like well i'm going to do a bigger show today i'm going to do a show kind of more broadly on pope francis when pope francis passes away 
every Catholic YouTuber out there will do a show. That will be a show that will not be so laser focused. Part of it will just be delivering the news and you people out there watching my mouth deliver the news. Holy cow, Pope Francis has died. Pray for him, pray, pray, pray. Those are generic things. The bigger the audience, the less narrow the message. The, the more tightly focused the message, the smaller the audience. So when you address the problem of evil or the attack of modernism of the church or the infiltration of said problems into the cardinalate, themes two, three, and four today, if you do so for a large enough audience, it will no longer just be tradcasts. It will no longer just be cats. It'll be people that are interested in the themes of this movie outside the church, which, let's face it, are a lot of folks. One of, if not the most interesting thing interesting things that non-Catholics want to take a peek at in cinematic form of the Catholic Church are mafia exorcisms. What else is there? Whether it's number one or number two, exorcisms are something that folks from outside the church want to take a peek at. All of my non-Catholic friends are very interested in this. Okay, so the problem of evil is dealt with in a satisfying way, even though it's slightly less focused. You know, you can't talk about modernism in a way that, uh, you know, Malachi Martin would have because he's addressing Catholics. You can't talk about the problem of evil or the uh, infiltration into the cardinalate in a way that Julia Maloney would understand when she writes Sancte Golan Mafia. Right? That's a laser focus. This is a little bigger, but the Pope's exorcist manages to address the problem of evil without becoming very superficial at all. It's satisfying still to a, to a, to a rigid tradcath like yours truly. Now, number five theme, the reality of Satan, the disturbing, unmistakable to those with eyes to see reality of Satan. I'm calling it theme number five. Obviously, it's kind of theme number one in the Pope's Exorcist. Need I say more? Nay. Number six, the Spanish Inquisition. This is insinuated into both the themes in a superficial way, thank goodness, and the plot in a very superficial way, and it's overlookable in both senses, for about 20 to 30 minutes with a revisitation in the resolution of the film, it's hokey. It's typical Hollywood dealing with Catholicism. It's the toll that the gatekeepers exact in order to get some of the Catholic message in, much of the Catholic message into the movie, you see? So is it worth the cost? What is said about the Spanish Inquisition, basically old Protestant tropes, about the Spanish Inquisition being outright diabolical. Um, yes, I would say it's worth it. Though for 15 minutes, you could pro if you knew the right 15 minutes, you could probably fast forward and just say, I flatly and roundly don't care about this 15 minutes. Okay. I, I don't have a time sig for you to do that. And you would miss some of the, some of the denouement. And the seventh one will be my conclusion. I'll, I'll get to that after I show you these seven clips. So let's get to the clips. You're really going to like the first one. You're going to like a lot of them, but the first one you might like most. So let's do that. I, they're, they're roughly in order of chronology, I believe. Russell Crowe before the tribunal. Yeah. Leave in comments if you can hear this. Here, let me get to work on the video. Let me work on the audio. You have your... 
Okay, yeah, we could just um, switch over the mics. It's not. Sorry about that audio. I don't know what's going on with it. Sorry, I got to work it out. Okay, so um, I'll give you a little bit of a preview into the scene while we work out the audio. Russell Crowe is before Cardinal Sullivan and his uh, tribunal, basically justifying the bimillennial role of the exorcist, which began happening at and after Vatican II. This is, I believe, 1987. The opening scene is um, one exorcism that he was performing where he did not deem it to be a real possession, but a psychological uh, a psychological problem experienced by the girl uh, who's being mistaken as the energumen. She's not actually possessed. And fa- uh, Father Amorth lets, lets him, you know, says, okay, well, I don't believe you're possessed. And she ended up uh, committing suicide. I'm not spoiling much. And this haunts him. You know, should I have done more? He's haunted by Russell Crowe. Um, so he goes before this tribunal, and it's basically the second scene of the movie. And instead of answering questions about what happened, they're taking occasion, the modernists in the church, like Sullivan, are taking occasion to attack exorcism writ large, which is what the liberals after the, at and after the council closed from 65, 66, 67, 20 years later to 1987, did and would do. It's precisely what they did, and it's precisely what they would do after the council. You're, uh, you, uh, modernism means, hey, if you have a problem in your life, it's got to be a DSM-5 problem. It's got to be a problem with self-esteem or psychology. It can't be a demon infesting your body. How, how, how outmoded is that way of thought? Okay, are we good for... I think so. If you have a problem hearing um, the audio, uh, let us know in chat, but we're going to try this again. Yeah. Huh. No audio. No audio. Okay. Well, sorry about that. Do you want to just play it off your phone? Yeah, here. You play that there, and I'll, we'll, we'll click it at the same time. I'll take it. Okay. Okay. Do so, you, oh, okay. yeah, you play. We'll, we'll try this one more time <laughs> the old-fashioned way. We got to, we got to, um, what a tighten up. Yeah, sorry about that. Okay, we will. Okay, so that means, are you leaving my mic on then? Yeah, your mic should be on now. Sorry, we're having all sorts of issues today. Okay, so on the count of three, let's begin this. Okay, you ready? Start three, two, one. Three, two, one. I am a practical man. I was also a partisan in the war, so I know a fighting squad when I see one. So what is this about? The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith is recommended to this panel that the position of chief exorcist be formally vacated. So what you're saying is that evil does not exist. The church is under constant pressure to sharpen her relevance. It's time to move past these outdated beliefs. Explain to me, please, your eminence. If evil does not exist, what then is the role of the church? I 
think we all have to be careful of the congregation of the doctrine of the faith. Amen. Sounds to me like they want us all out of a job. We have more questions for you, Father Martin. Okay. Um, so you heard you heard clear tension between the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in the late 80s and the chief exorcist. This is um, a good short, even though the, the prefect was Ratzinger, who was not, not by any means fully modernist. He had modernist leanings, but he did, he did believe in the problem of evil. He did believe in Satan. Hollywood is actually giving a remarkable shortcut to the non-Catholic viewer by just saying, well, the CDF, uh, the, the leading theologians in the church, read, the leading theologians in the church want to overcome a real treatment of Satan and a real treatment of evil as psychological problems dealt with by DSM-5. Even though the leading theologian in the church was Ratzinger, who didn't hold these fully modernist views, uh, Ratzinger wanted to overcome Thomism in a lot of ways, or at least sidestep it, but he did believe in real evil. So it's a clever shortcut, you see? You see? And I, I, it's, it's unique because they're using real Catholic language, unlike some of the Protestant um, exorcism movies. They're using real Catholic language and real Catholic terminology and a real Catholic dicastery which gives a kind of credibility to the whole process while, uh, you know, taking a little sidestep around the historical accident that most of the leading theologians in the church in the second half of the 20th century, aside from guys like Garagou Lagrange or uh, uh, Ratzinger himself, were modernists. And, it, you know, forget the fact, because non-Catholics don't care, that the lead theologian in the church, the doctrinal chief, number two, Ratzinger, was not in this group. I also don't know, maybe they're not just taking a thematic shortcut. Maybe it was like everyone in the CDF in 1987, as a matter of historical fact, did want to vacate the office of chief exorcist. And Ratzinger alone kept his job intact. That's what I suspect to be the case. But either way, it's um, appropriate artistic license uh, even if it's the first case. Okay? So it, the scene kind of speaks for itself. Now, let's uh, want to go to the second scene. Sure. We will. Um, it's 40 seconds long, so let me go like that. And then after this, let's um, click off the screen so they can read the subtitles, please, if you can. I'm going to play it at the same time. Just play at the same time, but get, get the... Um, I'll show you. On the count of three. One, two, three. I am about to say maybe difficult confronting. Your son is under the influence of a very powerful demon. Removing the boy from this place could be fatal. I said to you now, the only way your son comes back to you is through faith. Mrs. Vasquez, did anything happen to Henry? He was in the car accident that killed his father. His father had failed. I need to work out why this demon has chosen him. Okay, so in this second scene... In this second scene... The baby was from the recording, actually. I know, that's what I'm saying. That was a in the second scene, Father Amorth, Russell Crowe, is addressing the Energamon's mother, and he's um, he's make, saying some important things at once. What I'm about to say will be difficult. He calls it confronting, which is a a, a literal translation of a term Italians use a lot. Your son is under the influence of a very powerful demon. 
he says. Removing the boy from this place could be fatal. And he's telling her, the only way your son comes back to you is through faith. This is not ever once made so explicit in the William Friedkin Exorcist movie of 1973. It's... it's it's implicit in the resolution and the way that uh, Damien Karras saves, uh, what's her name? Blair, Blair, uh, Blair Hamilton. What's her name? Saves the Energumen in The Exorcist. But it's not, there's never a line like, the only way you get your kid back, your beloved, possessed, afflicted back is through faith. Not expected. I was not expecting that, even though this would was chronologically speaking the second great scene. I mean, that's that's quite a bit of contraband to have snuck past the great the gatekeeping authorities there in Hollywood. The only way you get your son back is through faith. Also, in the second half of this scene, he asks, "Did anything happen to Henry? Great trauma can be an aperture for evil." Habitual mortal sin is the most common one. Explicit invitation through occult practices is number two. But number three is great trauma not dealt with. In the case of this boy, again, it's not, it's not anything that's, um, that you don't find out in the first 30 seconds of the primary set of protagonists being on scene in the second scene. You, know, you never meet the father of the family. He, he died in a car accident. So, um, so that's that. Uh, It's an accurate portrayal of the apertures to evil. Impressive. That's all I'm saying. It's impressive. Okay. All right. Scene number three. Let's see where we go from here. Okay, ready? How long will it take? It is hard to say. Hours? Days, maybe? This demon is very strong. The boy does. What we need to do is to find out his name in order to exercise it. That is the only way we can save the boy. How do we do that? With prayer. Constant prayer. The demons, they are self-preserving. They do not understand suffering. Eventually, he will give himself up because he cannot stand the pain of the prayer. You understand me? Yes. Good, good. Now, you must confess your sins. Now, the demon can smell your sins if they are not absorbed. Come, on the other. A couple of things. Um, one, I'll say before I forget to say it, Russell Crowe is one of my favorite actors. He's in my favorite movie of all time, 310 to Yuma's remake from 2007, which has overt Christian themes as well. And I read in an interview after this movie that he says, you know, he's looking at the, the crucifix, Jesus on the crucifix in his gun, the hand of God, when he converts morally and decides to go to prison. I said, this is beautiful. Um, I wonder if he has any interest in Christianity. And I found an interview from around that time when he said, at some point in my life, I'd like to try Christianity. I think it sounds like a good way of life or something like that. This movie, I'm hoping, through playing one of the two holiest exorcists of the 20th century, P.O. Gabriel Lamorth, I'm hoping that... What happens to Crow is essentially what happened to Shia LaBeouf playing Pio. He's a great actor. He's got tons of talent from God. I think he's one of the greatest actors of all time. And he also picks great roles. And I also think he's just kind of a badass. He's in like six or seven of my favorite movies ever, uh, in addition to my top one. So in a scene like this, more than even the first two I showed you where he's talking about Episcopal, Ecclesial politics... It's really interesting that the screenwriter got the mechanics of exorcism correct. What do I mean by the mechanics? 
How do you get a demon out? By making them suffer. Demons don't understand suffering, he told the younger priest who's going to be aiding in the exorcism. What does that mean? Praying tortures them. You torture a demon out of the energumen in an exorcism. Straightforward, plain and simple. It's like waterboarding them out until they give up and they're like, I'll go find someone else. And they get that right. And also they get the, the minor conceptual connection to theology that demons fundamentally don't understand the sacralizing uh, power of suffering. You know, they don't, they don't get it at all. They're wholly unwilling to do it. Also important, we're going to deal with this in the next scene. Because I paused here, I just cut here, and then the next scene is the confession that the priest makes. Uh, Amorth says, you need to do a confession right now. Here's why. Because the sacramentals are not like the sacraments, where ex officio, the, the sacrament from a priest who's in habitual mortal sin, you, you go get confession from Cardinal McCarrick. Well, that's still valid. Sacramentals like uh, an exorcism is vastly affected by the state of character of the man himself, the priest himself. So priests will always do a confession right before they go into an exorcism. I didn't know that until I took part in uh, one of these this spring and early summer. So that is... No, no, not as the energumen, but uh, I I explained on the show that I'd helped... um, so, accurate and fascinating for a man who understands the human spirit well enough to be a, a fine actor like Russell Crowe to be saying these lines. I wonder what he thinks about them. Okay, so that, that was, that's one, two, three. Oh, here we go. Okay. Okay, you ready? Now, I know the good Catholics in my audience, which is basically all you guys are, um, 95% are, are serious practicing Catholics. You're screaming at your screens right now. You have to enumerate number and species of sins. You know, take at least a, an approximation of the number of times you did each one and, and the species itself of sin. Yes, I know. Um, I don't think, Mal- uh, sorry, not Malachi Martin. I don't think Gabriel Amorth ever would have done this. But the important thing that comes out later is that because Gabriel Amorth skipped over the enumeration of species and quantity, uh, this priest had a sin that was still smellable by the devil. And and technically, it should have been all of his mortal sins are still smellable because he hadn't enumerated them yet. And even if you forget one while you're doing a valid confession where you enumerate all the ones you remember, that's forgiven. But you can't just go into confession and have a priest say, yo, you know, are you, you're a man of God. Are you sorry for everything bad you've ever done? That's basically Protestant. So this is the first fudging that I noticed in the film. And this is about 50 minutes in, 5-0. But it does come back out later that the sin that this priest, the mortal sin that this priest would have confessed is enabling the demon to have power. And it's a, it's a very mortal sin. The priest ends up getting past it later through confession, which is impressive. You'd think um, non-Catholics might not think that a simple confession would get them past a large sin. But it ends up doing so. So that's also very Catholic. Anyway, it's just impressive. I mean, look, maybe you guys revel in not being impressed by veritably Catholic stuff, you know, happening on a secular stage. I remember, I I can't remember who it was, some Catholic outlet 
said, you know, oh, well, when when Harrison Butker in the Super Bowl or was at the AFC Championship game, when his when his uh, scap popped out on a kick, they're like, well, you got to do more. I'm like, no, that's cool. <laughs> that's seriously cool. I think it was the Super Bowl. That's dope. Why complain? Well, it's not enough, blah, blah, blah. No, it's cool. Like, this is uh, an imperfect confession, but look at all that this movie got right. I was actually tweeting back and forth with the producer of the film, and I was like, this is really impressive. You have to torture the demon out through ritualistic prayer, not just Protestant mental prayer. And the demons don't understand suffering. Suffering. And you have to do a confession beforehand. And if the confession's not properly done, the demon can smell your sin. And in the course of the action, one of the major barriers to entry was that this priest didn't do a proper confession, and he ends up having to, I think he ends up doing one. So that's a lot of value baked into the goods for a movie that was not billed as one of these Catholic movies. I was so impressed with it because I think it's more Catholic than a lot of the Catholic movies that have come out in the last six months. Okay. What, what was that? Quote clip four? I think. He says, but it is in Latin. Okay. So this one's cool. And I mean, you'll, you'll recognize it's just kind of raw, 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 raw value. Um, they're talking about the, 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 the um, recitation of, of some of the delivery prayers. Okay, you ready to go? You hear that? So he says, the Spanish priest says, oh, well, but the prayers are in Latin. And Gabriel Amorth says, Father Amorth says, close enough to Spanish, and it has more power in Latin. I mean, come on, guys. I know some, some of us trads get accused, accused of being killjoys and liking to tell people don't get so excited when something good happened and be more black-pilled when everyone else is getting white-pilled. But come on, this is cool. This is not a Catholic publishing house. This was not Angel Studios. This was not an Eduardo film, right? This is just kind of an unsung movie that snuck out. Wasn't big, didn't loom large on Catholic radar in early 2023. 20, they came out quietly, and I'm calling attention to it. He's saying prayer has more power in Latin? I mean, that sounds like... You know, something something that we talk about amongst ourselves, parish orphans and retrogrades. Is it true? Yeah. Sounds like something Father Ripperger would say. Was Father Ripperger in on this film? Awesome if so. Awesome if so. But I, I know I know people are gonna be like, Well, come on, it's not that base. I know, I get it. There are flaws with the film, particularly at the 80, 85, 90, 95, 100 minute mark of the film. I'm telling you that, so don't write me and say, hey, but there are problems. I know. I get it. But um, the problems are not so damning that it's not worth a watch if this stuff doesn't mess with you badly. Um, Okay, now, they use some of the names of Satan here. They find out the name that's actually one of the titles of Satan. So this might be one of those rare exorcisms. It was kind of unclear in the movie whether this is actually Satan possessing the little boy, not just a powerful demon. Don't really worry about that. Um, For this scene, you know, we're getting toward the resolution, so I don't want to spoil the whole thing. I won't say much, but um, there's some cool stuff. And, And what happened in between the last scene I showed you which was still in the base part of the first hour of the film. And the next half hour was they got into the Spanish Inquisition. There's an old Protestant sort of black legend about those running the Spanish Inquisition were were possessed by the devil. The movie borrows heavily from that. The gatekeepers must have extracted that pound of flesh in order to get all the good stuff in. That's what I'm telling myself. Anyway. And... Um, so that's a sidetrack. 
And then they start doing the exorcism, and it's a little bit Hollywood also, lava in the floor and a monstery kind of exorcism, a, a, a bit more like 1973 exorcist, but with more lava. <laughs> and so that's kind of cheesy. You see some of it, but there's some really cool stuff being said in these prayers. Ready to roll? It's about six seconds of silence at the beginning of the clip. Okay. Three, two, one. intense scene um some cheesiness but but some real catholic themes happening here um and 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 real aspects of exorcism i mean i think i think you get it um yeah i want to go to scene seven yeah let's do that one okay now some some cheesy stuff happens in the exorcism but but tomas the uh assistant priest has to come and sort of save Father Amorth, much as what happens with uh, Damien Karras in The Exorcism, uh, in The Exorcist from 1973, which remember in that film, he too was the like, uh, the auxiliary priest, the understudy at The Exorcism, and he ends up having to take over because uh, Linda Blair, possessed Linda Blair, kills the older priest or makes him have a heart attack. So Damien Karras, Father Karras has to finish it. That's almost like what happens here, though I'm not going to tell you exactly. Here we go. One, two, three. So there's a taste. I I think, all in all, if you're not overly bothered by the proposition, go see this movie, The Pope's Exorcist. Don't say I didn't warn you that in the, you know, bottom part of the, really the second act of the film, you have some some cheesiness. But it's it's well done. The acting is, it's Russell Crowe. It's the finest. You, you never get... Ch- Russell Crowe is Gabriel Amorth. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to not see that because that's one of my favorite priests from the 20th century. Arguably my favorite actor. It's between Russell Crowe and Christian Bale for me. Um, he's amazing. He does amazing things on film. The writing's decent. The research into the Catholic faith is decent. They depart from it at times to borrow from Protestant black legend about the Spanish Inquisition. But hey, that's not devastating. We can just sort of suspend belief for the 25 minutes they're talking about that. Uh, in the resolution in Act 3, you have some cheesiness in the exorcism, but that's not too bad at all. You just have some lava and stuff. And it's, it's all in all fully worth it. So you have an amazing first hour where they talk about the infiltration into the cardinalate. The attacks of modernism are more than insinuated. They're they're addressed as the infiltration, as number four, the problem of evil, as number five, the reality of Satan. None of this is left to judgment. It's very explicit, right? Mm-hmm. I it's, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's shockingly sp- explicit. Yeah. 
Number six theme, the Spanish Inquisition is thrust in for the gatekeepers. They extract that pound of flesh, no pun intended. <laughs> and uh, you know who does that. And, and um, but seven, I would say the takeaway is, here's the takeaway for you guys. Seven themes. It's good for tradcaths to practice being able to pull the wheat from the chaff. Because too often you guys insist on, I'm only going to see movies from Angel Studios. And you know what? The, the, the quality of those films, it's not as high. I mean, I, I'd love to cheer for them and see it get higher, 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 higher. Explicit Catholic films, that'd be cool. But as of right now, they're not there. So if you're a, a film guy, if you really appreciate film, as I, as I, as I like to, then you're more into the film qua film, and you'd rather deal with this, Pope's Exorcist, than, you know, something that's sufficiently Christian but isn't of sufficient quality, like God's Not Dead. Like, sorry. That's, that's what I say 10 times out of 10. As long as there's not a, um, a push point whereupon there's too much filth, too much sleaze, too much anti-Catholic uh, indoctrination. And, I mean, the mere fact that these writers and researchers understood what was happening between the close of Vatican II and 1990. Um, and, you know, they looked into at least two of uh, Amorth's books, and they pulled out enough good stuff to get them well over the hump of way more good stuff than fake stuff about the church. So I think it's good practice for you guys. I think a lot of folks out there need the practice. How do I know what movies to see, Tim? How do I know what movies to see? What's a really Catholic movie? Um, I don't know. The Thin Red Line. Crypto Christian director, Terrence Malick. He's not Catholic, but he's Christian. And anything that's true in a Protestant Christian's movie... Thin Red Line's arguably my other favorite movie. We just rewatched that one. It's true because it's Catholic. It's not true because it's Protestant. So Thin Red Line, 310 to Yuma, is tons of good Catholic manhood. I, I don't know who's Catholic that's associated with that. The image of Jesus on the cross is the central image prompting a conversion of a bad guy in that film. You don't get more Catholic than that. It's not just the boring Protestant cross. It's a crucifix on a gun doesn't get more base than that. A film like um, Gladiator. I mean, Russell Crowe plays a pagan guy, but I would still say that a trained eye can look at that and say, well, this is Veer. Veer means man in Latin. And it's ancient Rome. Man is at the heart of virtue. Now, Maximus Decimus Meridius is should be the model for Catholic men today. Gladiator, I'm sorry, uh, Braveheart is like the Catholic version of Gladiator. Very similar scripts, right? But it's directed by Catholic Mel Gibson. But the Catholicism in Braveheart is much more superficial. And he like copulates with a, a woman after his wife. So it's much more superficial. It's still a great movie. The themes are real, but the actual marks of Catholicism in this Catholic director's movie are much more superficial than even in this film. Okay? So that's four right there. There's another movie that has subtle hints of Roman Catholicism. All the characters are, are uh, like uh, Coal Town Catholics, called Out of the Furnace, that's another Christian Bale, Casey Affleck movie, another one of my very favorites. They actually do have some rosaries flashed in. They play Catholics with Catholic prayers. Um, it's, they're flashes of images, so there's no doctrinal problems or no real doctrinal strength of Catholicism. They just have some images, but the themes are all really Catholic, so that's another one. All five of those movies I just named deal with Catholicism either univocally, equivocally, or prosenequivocally. And um, you have to be, as a Catholic person, a retrograde, a parish orphan, 
in 2023, those are five really good movies that deal with Catholicism univocally, equivocally, or prosenequivocally. All of them are better than dealing with Catholicism the way that some of these Catholic studios do it. Sorry, this is just my opinion. And, um, and I'd say they're all better films for it. So go through, review those movies. Leave in the comments what you think of those movies. Those are some of my all-time favorites. This one's really good. Leave in the comments what you thought. Tell me if you agreed with me. Please be respectful if you do disagree with me. I, I don't mind that at all. Just realize, don't mischaracterize. What's annoying sometimes in the YouTube comments is if someone's like, doesn't watch the film, is like, Tim, you thought this was the greatest ever and had no problems. I'm like, no, I addressed the problems. And then they are repeating some of the problems that I enumerated in the video. So if, if, if you think, hey, it had these problems, tell me, yo, I agree. The good parts were true, according to you, and the bad parts you accurately intoned. Or whatever, maybe I missed something. Anyway... This is The Pope's Exorcist. I hope if you're old enough and mature enough and it won't petrify you because it is unpleasant in scenes that you go watch it. Russell Crowe is one of the greatest of all time. And um, I appreciate the producer who I was talking to the other day did a great job raising money for a film that uh, snuck a lot of Catholicism past the gatekeepers. I want to see more like this. Deus Volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.